1: It's that time of the week again, the Rugby League rant, fifth and last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your mouth guard, and get ready for an hour of nothing of NRL tour. And here we are for another week of the fifth and last NRL podcast. Boxhead, how are you done? Are you? Not too bad, not too bad. We'll be uh, a bit shorter and sharper with this one. It's been another crazy week around training and everything that's going on, so we're a day later than we wanted to be. But we'll punch through an Origin 1 in depth preview here ahead of the clash between New South Wales and Queensland, and we'll have a quick look back at round 13, which just occurred the Origin affected round. Uh, we've also got a couple of quick talking points with impacts on clubs in the NRL. We'll be back Thursday night at some stage, again around training and whatnot, uh, to do a review and our tips for round 14 once we have lineups. Uh, No doubt those will still change depending on who backs up and who doesn't back up. But let's rip straight into this podcast brought to you by bluebet.com.au. If you're going to have a bet with anyone, do it with the true blue bookie who also supports our charity, Bears of Hope. And we've got a win on the weekend Funnily enough, I completely forgot to put the bet on uh, between our football and everything that was going on, so I had to back a random dog and $160 into the kitty, so we're now up to $482 on the year. That's a good result. It is a great result after some uh, very close ones with the rugby league, but let's start off with those talking points. Um, the first one yesterday reported again, and we've been on this round about a million different times. They've had 100 reviews. They've had a million things leak out of the club, but it's on the cards again about Madge Maguire being moved on after this weekend. He was contacted not long after the news broke, said he knows absolutely nothing about it. So as to whether it's true or it's not true, it's another review, this time done by Tim Sheens, internally by the club. Um, I'm just dumbfounded. I really am. I'm
2: not, because the club's a basket case. Like, it's management. It's not coaching. So... The management hasn't changed and they've gone through however many coaches and the results aren't changing. So you keep changing the coach, but nothing changes from a management perspective. Yeah, you know, And I've said this multiple times and I'll say it again. And the best thing that could happen to Match McGuire is he gets out of the targets because their roster isn't improving that significantly to think or project that their results are going to improve drastically over the next particularly in the next 12 to 18 months. So all that's going to happen is this cycle is just going to continue. Review, and, and really, who do they think is going to go there? Who, like, What tried and tested coach is going to look at that roster, look at that club and go, in the next you know, 18 months to two years, am I going to be able to get results there? Because really, what's going to happen, this coach is going to come in, he'll probably get 12 months grace, and then if they're not in the eight this time next year, he's going to be under
3: pressure as well. And realistically, could be Jesus Christ coaching them, and I wouldn't think
2: this time next year they're going to be in contention for the eight either, because they've probably got more good players walking out the door than what they do good players walking in the door. So that's as clear cut as I can be. I, I feel sorry for match, but I also think it's just going to be the best thing for him. I, I actually like him, and you know we're going to get onto the Warriors, but I actually like him for the Warriors. I think they could do with a really, really hard head, someone that's got experience in developing young players. Someone that understands pathways, someone that has their claws already in New Zealand rugby league, I think he's a good fit for them. But, yeah, in, in, in regards to the Tigers, just good luck. Be careful what you wish for because you've got you've got a very experienced coach, somebody who's won a premiership, someone who has a fantastic work ethic, a good coaching staff, respect to the players. I know, look, the players aren't playing up to the standard that you would probably expect, but when you look at their roster, like, what do we all expect?
1: Did anyone really predict them to finish in the eight? Oh. Did anyone predict them to be challenging for the, for the premiership? I don't think anyone did. So I, I picked I think them for think the spoon. Like, what, are, what, are, what are we doing? Like There's a
2: self-fulfilling prophecy in that they're, just, they're doing exactly what everyone predicted. But we're, we're kind that you know, we want to hang Michael Borghara out to dry because of it. Like, I, yeah, I, I don't know. The other thing is who's controlling recruitment? Because, like, is, is it Madge that's controlled all these recruitments?
1: Well, I've already told if you. If not, then really, he's getting given a roster by someone who should be taking some accountability for that as well. I told you the story in the off-season about a player uh, that I used to play with, who I won't name. Name made contact with him initially, didn't hear from him until three weeks later because they'd had to go through all the board, which are again, as we know at the moment, and people there half of them don't have a clue about rugby league. And by the time Madge was given the approval to get the contract through, this player had already okay. already signed another club. There you Because the other club and their coach was able to do the business as they're supposed to, which is upfront, direct, and get things across the line. So when he called three weeks later, it was almost like, "Well, I thought you guys weren't interested," and it wasn't the case. To be
2: fair, we've been in the fishbowl there. We've seen how that club operates for the you know the two or three years there. You know, I'm not going to go into the ins and outs of it, but nothing nothing that
1: happens there surprises me. No, and I will say again, I think there is some positives in the fact that soon as Sheen's got there. They've solidified the pathways a bit. They've locked up a lot of young guys that they wouldn't lock up while we were there. So there should be some stuff funneling through. But in terms of what they're doing at the top, I'm I'm sort of with you, and I said it a few weeks ago, I see this with him there as a reset and a good sort of period. You've got Arpy, you've got Papa Lee coming. Um, I'd I'd be building on those positives. They're
2: losing
1: their their two back rowers. Yeah. was going and uh, was going, so they're obviously going to roll. too
2: long he's been their best player, really, hasn't he?
1: He's on the field He's been their most Impactful player He's been one of their Better players I,
2: Apart I, from um, Probably Jackson Hastings Like I think He's been He's been right up
1: there I think Not having Dewey And again I know their squad's Not the greatest But they didn't get To further develop Bloor and a couple Of the other guys That they've been relying on You know Talia didn't make it onto the field Injured in the preseason. season But again I picked him for the spoon Similar to you So I don't know What people were expecting um, I don't know anyone That's picked him To make the eight But let's put it this way what position are they in to dictate terms to another coach? If they hand it over to someone like a Seraldo, if he's interested in that job, they're going to have to give him time. Otherwise, no, there's
3: no way he's going to be interested in that job.
1: But no, I'm just saying, no. there's two sides There's two sides of the coin here. If you go with a rookie, they're going to need a lot more than 12 months grace to keep turning this over. But if you no, go the other way... What are they going way, to be doing that Madge isn't doing? That's what I want to know. What are they going to be doing that Madge isn't doing? Exactly. But the other side of the coin is, if you want to bring in another veteran premiership winning coach, say like a Shane Flanagan, he's not coming there without full control, without a long-term deal, and without some security.
3: Hmm.
1: So if they did go that route and he was interested, they're going to have to... an
3: experienced coach in Maguire.
2: Maguire is I call him, an experienced coach. That's exactly... Really, they're just going to swap Maguire for someone who's got similar credentials to McGuire. funny.
1: That's my point. But you're going to have to pay big money and give up some, you know, uh, give up some accountability and some control, which at this point in time, I think we already know about what needs to happen. I think Pasco and a few other people have been there for too long and need to uh, see their way out of the club.
2: Yeah, I, 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 I'm not pointing fingers at anyone specifically in management. I just think that management are making these decisions and the results are exactly the same across multiple coaches, across you know, the span of now a
3: decade. So... What's changing from a management perspective is, is my question. It's not about naming people and pointing the finger because we're not in, we're not internal and
2: we're not, we're not really seeing how the day-to-day works. But the other thing is recruitment retention. Like, who's in, who's in control of it? Not, not a lot of this stuff is public knowledge. There's not a lot of transparency around this because if there was, it would probably make it very difficult to sack Maguire because you'd be able to... A lot of people would probably look at it and go, well, Jesus, so Maguire doesn't have as much control as... Had as much influence as what people would like. Now, and that, that's how rugby league clubs work. I know we want all, you know everyone wants to hang the coach out of the In the end, his name goes on the team sheet and he's responsible for results. And that that's fine. But understand that there's a lot that goes in before you even get out on the field. And a lot of that is assembling the best possible playing roster you can. And I just don't think the Tigers have done that for the last decade. And that's why that their on field results haven't been good. It's not.
3: Rocket science?
1: No, well, apparently, like I said, Sheen's now has a lot more power than most and is supposed to have some sort of say in this decision. So if he sees that's the way to go, I go back to what I said a few weeks ago. They were going to get rid of him in the off-season. They should have done it then if they were going to do it, not right now and not mid-season. If it is going to happen, I'd be keeping it internal, which they can't seem to do with anything. I'd want to see the season out, um, and then I'd be looking to find somebody. But again in terms of who they get in. It's either going to be a rookie or it's going to be, like you said, someone of a similar ilk who you're going to have to hand over an absolute swag of cash, a lot of years, and a lot of control to. It. If they're not willing to do that, they're going to be in the same spot again. You there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm just... Sorry. There was, there was a big pause there, so I was wondering. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll leave that one alone. We'll see what happens. But as of last night, the news was broken he apparently has heard nothing, doesn't know anything about it. Um, they reckon he's going to be gone after this weekend. So the madness is just... Keeps... That? Who is that according to? Well, 360 were saying he's gone. Papers are saying he's gone. But again, yeah. it's the West Tigers. Yeah, they, they've been running... The fucking 360 been running that story all year. I know they've been running it all year. But this is the thing about the media circus around the Tigers and how things keep getting out of the joint Eventually as well. Eventually they're
2: going to be right. They've been wrong like five or six times now. They're just going to get sacked. Eventually they're going
1: to be right. Hmm. But to think, this stuff doesn't just leak itself. I are going understand. They've got a job to do. While
2: well, well, the club's leaking, someone's leaking there. Exactly. Someone's undermining the choir.
1: And this is more so, the point I'm making. I, I get that
2: side of it as well. I just... Yeah, I, I, don't I don't know. I don't understand why it interests so many people.
1: I'm only interested in the club side of things and where their future is. I don't care about the, you know, bullshit spill in terms of that. But I'm just like you said, management, where they're going, the direction they're heading. Like, yeah, like,
3: just... but like I said, they're just a self-fulfilling
2: see the They just go in around circles and expect a different result. They do things exactly the same as what they have done previously. They don't seem to learn the lessons. Like, they've got to get their roster right. That, that's what you've got to get right. It shouldn't matter who's coaching the team, really. Like You look at a lot of those, a lot of the top four teams that have got really, really strong rosters, and it's, it's not to take anything away from those coaches. But it's certainly it's certainly a hell of a lot easier to coach a team that's got a good roster than it you know than it that it is to coach a team that doesn't have a good roster. It's like surely that's that's the the art of sport and development to assemble you know a, a competitive and um, dangerous quality roster with depth. And mm. you look at the teams at the bottom, and when you look at their rosters more often than not, you'd look at it and you would make an assessment that they're not quite up to standard. Like, uh, it just doesn't seem to be a lot of accountability to the people in those positions. And uh, more often than not, it falls under the coach's lap. And that's why, as coaches, you've got to be very careful what job you take, because you need to really project forward into... Yeah, and I know a lot of coaches go, well, I can go in and I can make a difference. And that, that's cool. And they probably can, to a degree. But you really need to future think and go, well, in... 12 to 18 months, where is this roster going to be? How many of the players on there that I'm not overly in love with or that I think aren't really contributing to wins and losses? Uh, am I going to be able to move? And how many good players am I going to be able to get in, in replacement of those? And are they going to help the results? Because if not, you're going to end up in the same position. And I just think that's very important for coaches to, to think. And, that, you know, the coach is going to take over New Zealand, West Tigers and the Bulldogs have all got to probably think about that when they they take that job on board. Or you just get some guys to go, it's an NRL gig, you're going to take it. And I get that as well. I I get that side of it as well. So sometimes you're just not sport with choice. There's only 16 jobs. You've got to dive in and and take it and have a crack at it, which I fully respect as well, which is probably why I'm making the point that there's a hell of a lot more that goes into winning and losing outside of the coaching of the team, particularly when you're looking at a, a... roster that hasn't uh, had a lot of turnover and isn't going to have a lot of turnover in the the next sort of 12 to 18 months
1: yeah I guess probably the other side again like you said those top four rosters are generally better rosters but the benefit I guess of the coaching side of things is maximising talent maximising and recruitment getting players for less or attracting players you wouldn't initially otherwise be able to attract on top of what you're doing internally recruitment wise and development yeah, but a lot of that
3: comes back from having good results.
1: But that's Isn't that, like, again, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I'm at the top of the table, it's
2: very easy for that cycle to continue. It's very easy for me to look attractive to potential players. It's very easy for me to be able to sell our football program and our coaching. It doesn't mean that the coaching is any different or any better at the top as it is to the bottom, but it's certainly you're able to put the, the spit shine on it and the sell on it And the gold plated, and you know the the top shelf, and the A class, or whatever you want to call it, the elite, because you've got the results to back it up. And that's in the end, we're in a results-driven business, aren't we? So you know, you can think you can think you're doing a fantastic job as a coach, but you're not getting results. So what are we looking at? Are we looking at results? Are we looking at performance? And that's yeah, that fine balance. When you're at the elite level of the game in the NRL. People don't really care about performance, they want results. And that's what I mean when you take on some of these jobs. You need to be able to think and, and be honest with yourself and say, "Am I am I going to be able to get the results that I'm going to need to continue in that job over the, the short to intermediate period to not have the same amount of pressure applied on me for my job as what you see on those coaches, you know, at those three aforementioned clubs." But not a lot. Of, not a lot
1: of. Potential coaches probably do that. They'll just go, well, I'm going to take the gig. It's an hour gig, and away we go. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll move on from the Tigers one. We'll touch on the Warriors situation. Um, again, I kind of find it a little bit dumbfounding that you take the job in the first place, stand up in this situation. But Nathan Brown has basically let them know that he wasn't going to be moving over. I don't know if it's been a change of heart. I don't know if the situation's worn on him over the past 18 months since he's taken over once they got. Uh, you know Moved on from Kearney And they obviously had Peyton Jones is now Taking over immediately That'll be their Fourth coach Since June 20 20- So is Nathan Brown Going now? He's done? He's gone they confirmed it this morning They've moved on Straight away They're going to get Into the well, process. Just not sound like A mutual party at ways Like a, I know I don't want to move over to New Zealand It's probably
2: A nice storyline But it just sounds to me Like Especially with the way That Brown spoke post game Not that he was out of answers But He just he seemed resigned to, yeah, just the style of footy that they're playing. The fact that he, he can't really get consistent performances out of out of the roster, he's probably thinking, well, at the end of the year, I'm probably going to be gone anyway. Uh, I don't know. I just I, I read the or I heard about it yesterday that he sort of said he didn't want to move through New Zealand or whatever. I was like, okay, that seems a convenient and nice storyline, and I'm glad they've moved him on now. Like, I, I'm not sure why he would. Why Nathan would want to continue in the job for the next you know, 12 rounds or whatever it is, um, or you know, why the club would want him to either. It's a gift to Jones, the crack. He's been there for a while. He's, he's an excellent former player. At least he's done some sort of a, an apprenticeship. Like he's, He had the New South Wales Cup team there for a little while, didn't he? And he's, he's certainly been an assistant coach there. He's helped out with the Kiwis and the junior Kiwis over a long period of time. Whenever you hear him talk, he seems very articulate. He's a very intelligent player, so like, he could do far worse than him for the rest of the year, and he's got Justin Morgan there as well, I think.
1: Yeah, he's a long-term assistant.
2: Yeah, so they're both pretty experienced. They've both uh, got a lot of experience at the Warriors. Justin, I think Justin Morgan played at the Warriors as well, so he's got a long history with the club.
1: Yeah, I think I looked the other day to see when he, he went over there. I think he's been there for almost 10 years.
2: I was going to say, I reckon he was there maybe
1: post Cleary maybe he went there when McLennan went there it's been a long time but yeah And like Stacey Jones was there like you said as a cup coach he come on as the uh, assistant I think it was 2017 so he's been a long term assistant now um, but yeah I think just all around regardless of what the circumstances are, I think for the Warriors it's just disappointing when you know you've You had him come on board. If someone takes the coaching job, you obviously do it with the intention that you're eventually going to be going back to New Zealand. So whether it's the circumstances you said or not, I think it's disappointing that that's the reasoning. uh, Cameron George came out and said they understand his reasoning, but for that reason, they're not going to obviously continue with him immediately, which is the smart thing to do. For that reason, you look at Stacey Jones. He's been there for a long time. And then you put yourself on the market. Um, In terms of candidates, again, I think the two names that come to mind who are available besides like you said the natural link with Maguire if he was to go because he was part of the New Zealand setup. Uh, he's still the New Zealand head coach as well isn't he I'm pretty sure he is so he's obviously still got that link there but the other two names that come to mind immediately Wolf has obviously done that apprenticeship like we've talked about he's had success overseas he's had success with Tonga so he's obviously got a bit more of a grasp um, with you know working with Polynesian players and then the other guy if you're looking for a harder edge again a veteran and someone who can help with pathways is Shane Flanagan again. And this job to me, if he's willing to move, is probably a better option than the Bulldog situation or a Tiger situation. If you're Flanagan and you know that he's built something from the ground up at the Sharks. And the one thing we do know, which heavily disadvantage and which a lot of people don't understand, the COVID thing is not just a matter of being here based in Australia, away from home. They had just made the decision to enter the pathways over here. And their first year was absolutely outstanding. Their under-18s team was flourishing and more than half of that got taken away immediately once that pathway got cut off and they knew they weren't going to be able to play in that competition. So a lot of clubs benefited and took those players away from the Warriors and they haven't got a lot of benefit in terms of development the last few years either. So that needs to be reestablished. I know Gus had that short stint um, between the COVID window and him there and he, part of his reasoning, he said, for leaving that job was the fact he wasn't able to completely fulfilled that role, but they were looking to multiple more ways to do more development and more pathways for the, the Warriors and New Zealand Rugby League in general. But I think the proof's in the pudding with the Shane Flanagan with what he did at the Sharks. They were one of these teams in the past, much like a lot of teams in Harrod Matthews, where Penrith, Parramatta, Runoff, filled in Cronulla, North, so a lot of clubs. Once he got there, they put a lot of work into their junior systems. They were very successful, 16s, 18s, 20s, that had a lot of guys funnel through who are playing first grade now. Um, so he's certainly an option if you're looking to re-establish and tick all those boxes. Yeah. And I agree, I, the
2: same shirt, you just toss up the same
1: name, so. Yeah, but if not, like I said, if you're going to put someone new on the cycle, I don't think I'd have Serato on that job. I think Wolf would probably have a better grasp um, in that sort of situation. So they're probably the two names that immediately pop the mind, along with McGuire, if he's moved on, giving his links to New Zealand Rugby League. But um, it's more
2: about like, what's the plan? What's the plan for the Warriors? Right? You know, you're, they're obviously going back to New Zealand. Okay, so what, what's the plan in terms of junior pathways? What are they going to do there? Are they going to are they going to enter a sheep all again? Are they going to they jump have into to leg? Are they going to jump into New South Wales Cup? Are they going to maintain those links with um, you know, a Queensland Cup team? Cool. What's their what's their
1: position on you know, signing players from Australia? Well, the Redcliffe link is gone. At gold. the moment, it's just like, Well, a lot of the
2: a lot of the New Zealand players, like particularly the Roosters are doing a good job hitting a lot of those New Zealand junior players I know Melbourne do a pretty good job of hitting a lot of those junior New Zealand players I think the Raiders have done a pretty good job of that in the past but you know it's, it's difficult to get players, particularly in your Sydney Basin, out of Sydney and over New Zealand so it's like how are you backfilling the loss of talent in your junior ranks which is going to help you have a better development pathway into the NRL team or you just need to move to the model you know, the Melbourne Manly model of sort of just going out and and buying three or four absolute superstar players and then you know, smack filling the rest with some bargain buys but the Warriors sort of don't have a history of success so it's going to make it more difficult for them to attract players at a cheaper
3: rate so they're sort of according to Catch-22 they don't really have a development pathway or
2: system of players coming up underneath them and they also don't have the results on the board and that elite status and particularly an elite coach with recent results on the board to attract anyone, really. So they're sort of in that cycle of losing and rebuilding like you know we're seeing from we all the clubs at the bottom of the table, aren't we? You know, you're looking at the Titans, you're looking at the, the Bulldogs, you're looking at the Warriors, you're looking at the Tigers. They've all been there for a significant period of time. Even you could throw St George in there as well, I suppose, that haven't played a lot of top eight footy, that have gone through a few coaches. So it's, it becomes difficult. But I, I just think they need to really project publicly, like, this is our plan. Well, this is what we're trying to do over the short to
1: intermediate to the long-term plan of the club. Well, right now you've just you've hit the nail on the head. They know for a fact we're going they're going home in a couple of weeks' time. They've fit their home openers against the Tigers. They're gonna be based there next year. I don't think we're planning on any pandemics in the near future. Fingers crossed, touch on wood. But now right now it needs to be all right, what are we doing? So those New Zealand pathways or what we looked at with Gus, getting more kids involved in rugby league in New Zealand, re establishing ourselves after three years. I'd want to, I'd wanna be going straight back into the S G ball pathway. I don't know if things are going to change in terms of the flag set up. But to me, I think one of the biggest things that hurt them, and it's been spoken about multiple times, is when the under-20s disappeared, they lost their foothold on getting a lot of guys that were in between rugby union and rugby league. They lost that foothold. That gave them a platform to get those players. So that also hurt. Um, it made them, you know, a, a real big deal, and they were producing a lot when that was going on. But that's why I look at someone, again, who's built from the ground up like a and If I'm the Warriors, I'm, I've got a, a long-term plan. Come in get ourselves back in that New South Wales competition, establish ourselves with our own SG ball team. I know match is probably a bit too much of a stretch and they're a bit younger. I'd want a flag team, uh, and then I'd want to have a feeder as well. I'd want to have my hand in as many pots as I can. And then, like you said, the most important one is taking care of your own backyard because Melbourne have a full-time setup over there. The Roosters obviously scout over there. A lot of clubs do. Parramatta, Canberra have done a really good job, um, and, and they haven't taken care of their own backyard in the first place. So yeah. all that needs to be priority. It's not about results, I guess, in the short term, but it needs to be a long-term plan, and whoever comes in has to be for that reason, not just for, like you said, a 12 or 18-month quick fix or let's throw money at a couple of players or pay overs and start the cycle again. It needs to be in five years' time, where are we? What's coming through? Yeah. They need to establish some pipelines. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be it's interesting player, to like see. If he's a man for the job, give him the job. Well that's what I think they're gonna find out they're gonna to... all this bullshit about oh I've gotta go look at him, we've gotta go look at him. Well you've got a coach that. He's done he's done his apprenticeship,
2: he's been the assistant coach, you've got Justin Morgan there, are those guys good enough to coach the first grade team? If the question's if the answer to that question is yes, then give them the job. Because, again, like a, a, you know, really if they've they've been there for that long, they're obviously doing something right. Are they potential head coaches? Do they wanna be head coaches? Like Jones is a legend of the club. You wouldn't have anyone more marketable than Stacey Jones in terms of popularity and, you know, affinity with the community,
3: affinity with the New Zealand public. Like he's probably the greatest ever New
2: Zealand warrior. Like a, name me a name me a, a greater
1: New Zealand warrior, and I'm not sure I could. I think- you know, he was part of the part of the team that played in their first inaugural grand final. He,
2: you know, he was regarded in that period of time as. You know, probably the greatest ever New Zealand halfback. So, but the, what, what I'm saying, I'm not saying give him the job because of what he did as a player, but he's done his apprenticeship as a
0: coach. So, if he feels though like he's the right man and he's got the ability to, to coach a team, give him the rest of this year. So, mate, it's your
1: job to lose. Well, that's what I'd be doing. Why knowing they're obviously going to look. I don't understand why you're going to go and look at any of these other coaches. Like, obviously, do your due diligence and probably get them in for an interview and. That's my point. Them the you have to. About
2: what their vision is for the Warriors and all that. I, I get all that, but really, we we need to start. And this is why this is where the development of coaches falls over as well. Because as soon as an opportunity comes from within, a lot of clubs go and look elsewhere when they've they've actually got good young coaches in their stable, and. They they don't don't look at them, they think that the answer is external, when realistically, if they're doing the job internally, and you're happy,
1: and you're sort of trying to get them ready for that job anyway, well, give them a crack at it. No, I don't... That would be my thought. My thought, outside looking in, would be Stacey Jones is the man for the job. Mm, But you have to do your due diligence, you can't just say that's it. You're going (laughs) to get a... But again, it's like, the coaching, and then interviewing for coaching, and then... Two very different things, you know. Like, you, some can talk the talk, and others can actually walk the walk. Or, you know, some people are actually blessed enough to be able to do both. Hmm, but my point, my point's just like, yo I don't like people go We've had a million, you know, CVs, stars, it's like it's great. Half of them are recycled. You should already have an idea in your mind immediately who you're willing to talk to. And if I'm the Warriors, my list wouldn't be that big anyway. I honestly have no. two. I have two names in my head. That's it. And if not, I would well, they give. Seem to, they seem to then want to. They seem to pigeonhole
2: themselves into people like, oh, you know, we need a New Zealand, you know, we need a warrior, we need a New New Zealand coach. Okay. Well, obviously that narrows down. Doesn't necessarily mean it's the best person for the job. So look at yourself internally. If Jones and Morgan are your best too, then give them give them the reins for the rest of the year. Bring the other coaches into due diligence around where those coaches have been what the opinion of those clubs is of those coaches, particularly if they've left that club, because those clubs are more likely to be honest with you about that. Talk to the former players and then get them to project a vision of what they think, you know, the Warriors are and what you know what the Warriors can be and then hopefully you get some alignment on that. And then you can go, okay, he might be he might be someone that we could look at as a potential head coach. So sort I of think we fall in love with and I know like I know those names get recycled but it's more about why, why are those names getting peddled in the media the name, those names are getting peddled in the media because you know they're obviously saddled up to certain journals in the media and you know they that their names get attached to jobs and that's how a lot of coaches sort of find their way into interviews and find their way into coaching jobs which is cool but it doesn't necessarily mean they're the best person for the job nah. so I think there probably just needs to be a little bit more transparency around applications for jobs, what clubs are looking for.
3: Like a lot of the time, clubs won't even interview. They just sort of, oh, you know, I've got a couple of CVs for that job and away we go. Like you're talking about
2: multi-million dollar businesses and the football program, which is your call
3: business. They need to get it right.
1: Like I said, that's why every time we hear these names, I'm only interested in a handful. I'm not interested in a lot of the recycled names. The only one, to me, who's really out there, who's had a job already, who deserves another job, purely because what he, he doesn't deserve another job, but he actually had success and it was his own doing which seen him out of a job, is Shane Flanagan. Mm. So if you were serious about your football club and what he's done, he would be he should be everyone's number one candidate, realistically. But in terms of some of the recycled names or people that have had a couple of jobs and people bring up other assistants that have had two or three... Well, I'm not sure
3: he's the best fit for the club.
1: That's my point, but you got to do your Maybe due diligence. you got to do yeah, your due diligence, though. That's the point. But I wouldn't be taking 50 CVs and people that have been fired twice and going around that roundabout again. That goes back to the point that you made, which I agree with. Too often, there's a lot of coaches you've probably never even heard about or you never will hear about because the boys' club keeps the cycle going and people get another crack or people get on again or there's assistants that have been head coaches or are just... Sort of hanging around, that end up falling into it. Yeah, what a lot of other people don't understand as well is just play managers
2: and who coaches are managed by, and yeah, club look, links. All that comes into it as well. Like, there's a lot that goes into how people land in jobs, and yeah, like, there's a hell of a lot that goes, goes
3: into it. Look at you know, the, there's a lot of talk about that prior to Barrett getting moved on. In that,
2: you know, Flanagan's managed by the same manager as Gus is managed,
1: managed by Barrett. And, it just makes it Very very murky Yeah well, And we've seen it before Already with the the Tiger situation With Ayub And the Brisbane set up As well with all the players All I've balls. been told For the last three weeks Since I've Moved into the
2: Head coach New South Wales Cup Is everyone's told me I need a manager I'm like okay Well I didn't need a manager To, to sort of get to the position I'm in now Look like, I, I understand The benefits Of having Someone represent you And the, the fact that it can Certainly help you Be um be promoted or to, to look at potential other opportunities elsewhere, but otherwise you know me, I could have been a firm believer that I like I don't need a player manager, I don't need a, a manager. But I know that there's probably gonna be a point in time when I'm gonna have to move into that, that stratosphere but you know, I also think that there's a lot to be said for just doing having a good work ethic, doing your job, doing the best you can and just having players respect you people within the game respect you and then you know having just people talk about others positively because they've had good relationships and good affiliations with them like that should also count for a lot as well not just who your manager is and how well they can they can spruik you to other clubs so I think we sometimes get that balance wrong you know
1: yeah and I can again we, we can go through the whole manager thing we already know that's very murky waters but the fact you hit on again which I, a big reason I'd have a very small list of managers you deal with for players and or coaches or anyone else. Is There are some guys that literally are aligned only to a handful of clubs. Yeah. So if you're a kid signing with some of these blokes, you've automatically cut yourself off to 75% of the competition yeah. because they have established relationships. And again, I won't name names, but I know a few that particularly, and even blokes that I've played with, that will say, oh, you know, I was with this person and I'm no longer because they're only linked to Sharks, Newcastle, Raiders and somewhere else. And you're like, well, how the fuck's that work? Like, if you're a manager... Yeah you should have a relationship with all 16 clubs. You should be trying to get your player to anywhere that's interested, not trying to feed or funnel or have control or build a network just within a handful of clubs, because it also leads to that situation we talked about before, where things get even murkier when you're constantly force-feeding. And if a club gets into a bit of a situation there, well, then you've got tension and you've got dirt and you've got a problem with a manager or a problem with a club and recruitment It just it's way too messy. But there's also a lot of fake agents out there as well, which we know even at this level you deal with. There's some blokes that have got the paperwork, which I can't believe they've been fucking accredited. Yeah. They'd, they'd say it's a, you know, a very thorough system, but from some of the ones that are out there, uh, I, I disagree with it. Yeah. But uh, I digress. We move on from that one. We'll see what happens. But Jones has himself you know, the rest of the season. So what are we up to? Around 14, uh, 11 rounds to go. Um, And I guess they'll do their due diligence on a couple of guys in terms of where they're at roster-wise. You know, they've had a lot of guys that have pulled out. They lost Roger last year. That looks like at the moment they can keep Walsh, but this situation's certainly not helping um, with that long-term and the option he's got next year in terms of what he wants to do. We know that Lodge has gone. Uh, Harris DeVita has decided that he's going to step away from the game for a little bit. Ewan Aitken said he didn't want to go as well. And then in terms of what's coming in, I don't think the recruitment for next year is too bad. I think Barnett is a hard player. That's somebody who probably wouldn't be too bad for that forward pack. Nia Kore going back from Parramatta, if he can stay healthy, along with Harris. They're not bad replacements. The Dylan Walker one is interesting. His role off the bench for Manley has been pretty handy. Um, and Metcalf from the Sharks have been really pushing hard to try and get him. They haven't been able to get him early, but he'll be going there next year. In terms of how that works out again, with what plays out with Walsh or their half situation, Um, I don't think recruitment's bad but the main thing is what we spoke about before needs to be a long term plan not a 12 to 18 month patch up job let's sign some players let's try and fix this now it really needs to be why haven't we established better grassroots here how do we get back in control of pathways and the best junior players from our own country rather than them going overseas we need to give them a reason to stay here that needs to be the first priority Yeah, All right, let's do a quick review of the round that was brought to you by the Penrith Solar Center. There's no one better than Jake and the crew, and, uh, the way things are going right now with the the, the price hikes, I think it was like $80 per kilowatt hour or something a couple of weeks ago. They're talking now as high as $400 plus per kilowatt hour, so if you've got a solar system, which we both certainly do, I certainly don't think there's a better time to have one of those on your roof and, uh, I don't think the pain's going away anytime soon with what's happening in the world in terms of cost of living. So, tackle those rising power bills head on. Call the team at Solar today on 1800 20, 29 30 or visit www.penrosesolar.com.au. But it's absolutely mind-boggling to think that the way everything's going price-wise. <laughs> uh, probably so. a good time to send some
2: uh, love and congrats to Jake and Sinead who uh, welcomed a into the world. So.
1: Yep, massive congratulations. Young uh, Billy (laughs) Bob. Yeah, William, isn't it? Yeah, but William Roberts. So William's Billy, Roberts Bob. So I sent through Billy (laughs) Bob. Billy Bob. Billy (laughs) Bob. But uh, yeah, good supporter. And thank God we've got some solar systems. Because I tell you what, that squeeze is going to get tighter. It's already fucking hard enough to pay the mortgage, let alone uh, pay the solar bill. So it's definitely helping. But Penrith... They kick things off uh, with a great win with all those players missing from our perspective. Oh, sorry, I've mixed it up here. Titans kicked around off against the Cowboys, and this one, um, I guess, frustrating again. And from your perspective as a Titans fan? What do
3: you want me to say?
1: Thank oh, you. Justin I Holbrook.
3: Sorry.
1: Justin Holbrook, certainly. Uh, let out a little bit more this week of his thoughts But they had the best part of all the ball For the first 15-20 minutes Some of it was the Cowboys Some of it was their own doing They couldn't get across the stripe They found one try But for the most part I, I think the Cowboys kept them in the game The Cowboys made errors here and there Every time they to me getting on top But I never felt like the game was out of hand And once they took control They just ran away with it Like that Lukey try was soft I really like him um, But that carry To be able to just roll over and stretch out um, the way they finished the half, the, the two back-to-back ones between Tolungi, who's been absolutely outstanding, and Hermiso, and, and the moment that Jaden Campbell went down, I just thought that, you know, they're done. Um, and it's pretty sad to say that I'm looking at a guy who probably weighs, you know, as much as 70-something kilos being one of their most important players, but once he went off, I really thought they had no chance. And yeah. Second half, the Cowboys were patchy again, made some errors and sort of kept them within reach but the last 20 they blew him off the park again the Robson try from dummy half four players around him to be able to stand up show that ball and, and get over the way he did um, I, I think if anything just affirms what we already know that the Cowboys are a genuinely good side they took four players out and they just kept rolling on um, they're still tough they like to tackle the Titans talk. that's exactly so. it they love to tackle and again they, they inflicted a lot of that on themselves the Titans didn't and they still found that's a way a, to it's win it's a durability issue it's a mentality issue yeah, it certainly is. The Cowboys is. have got the right mentality. The Cowboys have got an elite defensive mentality and they've got young
2: players who have an elite defensive mentality, mm. which is very, 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 very rare. So, and as I said months ago on this show, I got that completely wrong, picking them for the wooden spoon. I, I now think they are an absolute lot to play finals footy. And they may even find themselves in the top four
1: And so, the Twins like
2: these you know, their ceiling is I, I'm not sure they're quite in that Upper tier yet And you know, that probably got proved a little bit by Penrith uh, You know, last week But I also think as a Cowboys coach going away from that game They could have taken a lot out of that And the fact that when they lose a couple of players And they come up against You know, the Titans Who should have been far more desperate than the Cowboys That they still hand them their backside I think it's a fantastic sign as you project forward, not only to the end of this year, but if they can maintain that defensive resilience and mentality and love for turning teams away, they'll be an elite club with the quality that they've got, the young quality that they've got for a long,
3: long, long time to come.
1: And we speak about coaches before, and I know he turned he turned the job down in the end, but Todd Payton, Todd Payton really show, job. showing what... You know, what he did at New Zealand was certainly not a fluke, but it probably speaks to, again, what a lot of people are asking is what's going on over there or the owner or the whole setup there, which has been a similar system over a while where they've just turned around coaches, turned around coaches, that he backed himself when he didn't even have the Cowboys job to turn down the Warriors job and bank on the fact that he was going to hopefully end up back in North Queensland. So um, I'm sure right now they wish that he did want to take that job after the fantastic interim spell that he had, but you look at what the Cowboys are doing now and they'd certainly be very, very happy, but again, getting the best out of guys like Drinkwater, Townsend doing his job, but it's more important who came in, I think Elliott hasn't played here in a couple of years, did a really solid job, Hampton filled in, done his job, so when you can get guys to come in and do a job for you as well, it's nice to know that you can call on anyone in your 30.
2: Yeah, exactly, and they're the guys that they're expecting to play regular first grade last year, probably weren't getting the job done on a week-to-week basis, but they're fantastic players to have there as backups for you know those little spikes where you need someone to come and fill in,
3: and they've got good depth.
1: Yeah, and I think probably the biggest point of that one is I heard someone, I think it was Voss the other night, going, I can't believe they've let Gilbert go, but it's like they have to let Gilbert go because they've got Gilbert, they've got Lukey, they've got Leilua coming, they've still got Hess, they've got Cotter, they've got Nana Like, this, this is the situation you want to be in, like a Penrith or... Like a roosters at times, or when you've got multiple guys and you, you have to let guys go because you can't pay everyone. But it, it's better to be in that situation yeah. where you've got too many than not enough, or you've got. Yeah, and yep. also ensuring that you're trying to not keep too many in the same position because it's just like okay,
2: we'll keep Gilbert, but he's going to play a Cup, and you're paying him an NRL wage. Like you need to think about your depth in positions and go okay, we've got enough there. Like he's a good player, but. Let's spend that money elsewhere on someone who's going to fill a position in the area of 30 and someone who's actually a potential first grade. I'm
1: not to say Gilbert wouldn't play first grade, but you might be getting someone who is of the same ability for a cheaper rate, and that's just good cap management. Yeah, well, I, I honestly think Gilbert's one of these guys that would be on the fringe of an origin squad. I'm not saying he'd be in one, but when you look at Lukey and Nanai and just some of the, you know traits that they have compared to a Gilbert Gilbert's certainly a hard worker but I think that's a great buy for the Dolphins but in their situation you've got surplus like you're saying so you're going to have to decide what you prefer in that spot I, I still don't 100% know the plan for Le Lua, but I'm not going to question anything about Todd Payton with what he's done so far because I had some questions on some of the players they did have and they've certainly played a lot better than what I expected so I'll wait to see how that plays out but great win um, and again those sort of wins especially missing players against a team that you generally would expect to beat, that they're as good as winning two games during the origin period. Um, yeah, definitely. moving on from a team like them to the similar situation where you've got Penrith who lose half their football side and just continue on, 30 to 18. Over the dogs, I don't think we're surprised at all, having a good knowledge of what's there in that system. Um, in particular, we're both super happy and super proud of Kurt Falls, who we had the privilege of coaching um, at, a, at a young age and a guy that was probably, you know, a bit low on confidence and a little, little bit inward, very, very quiet, but found yeah. it, found his voice, found but his also confidence. It's pretty important to say that a player that, you know,
2: all we heard when we were taking over, not that we were taking over, he was coming up into C grade um, and the side that was coming up from, they were coming up from second division coming
3: into our side who'd won the competition the year before and you know, all, all everyone wanted to tell us was how this kid... You know, we couldn't pick this kid because he's just... You know, he's a second-division player. He's not up
2: to playing first-division. And, you know, by the end of the year,
1: I think he scored our opening try in the grand final. Kicking 40-20. Uh, he was kicking goals. He was, he was
2: controlling the team. And the only regret I've got with Kurt is that I only got to coach him for a year.
1: That's the only regret
2: I've got with him. He's a, he's a beautiful young man. Um, he's got a beautiful family. He's been with the same... Um, Young lady for a significant amount of time. He's a very loyal human. Um, He suffered some absolute tragedies early in his life, and he's got a um, you know a blue collar family. His his parents are are beautiful, so yeah, couldn't couldn't be happier for the bloke. Um, And you know, whenever I see him now, um, yeah, it always just makes you happy to see people kicking goals. You know, he even went from. You know, he sort of went from C grade and then he played a bit of A grade and he was playing a bit of Ron Bassett Cup. And, you know, even there, I thought, mate, how good's that? Like, he's, he's developed on far further than what anyone would have ever ever hoped. And then, you know, when he when he got into the New South Wales Cup system, I thought, oh, this, this could end up anywhere. And then, you know, he saw how he went last year and it was, it was only a matter of time before he played first grade. I know he, he probably might not have thought that, but we'd spoken about that last year that, you know... It, if he hung around Penrith long enough, like he was gonna get his opportunity because he just he's one of those guys that he he understands his job and he gets it done. And that, that may sound really stupid to some people listening, but
1: it trust me the it's the amount not. of players the amount of play, particularly halves, that can't execute just simple jobs
2: because they've been coached in that block block robot style of play that, you know, just think, oh, I've got to, you know, this is, this is what I've done my whole existence because, you know, this is what we've done since under nines all the way through to, you know, now playing elite, you know, upper tier adult footy. And he just does his job. Like, he, he kicks very well. He makes, his tackles, his passing game's good, his running game's solid. Like, he's not doing anything out of the box. He, he's, he's the perfect project to go and look at if you're a young half. You know, what does he do? What does he do well? in a game like you just go and watch him play what did you do well in a game and it's it's the answer to that is he, he does his
3: job for the team he does those fundamental things consistently across 80 minutes
2: and it's as stupid as that sounds that is such a rarity in our game at the moment even in the nrl and that, that was more the point like i heard a lot of people say oh you know Penrith didn't really look any different with those hard scenes like, well no because the job that they ask their halves to do doesn't change if it's Kerr Fauls or if it's Nathan Cleary
1: or Sean O'Sullivan in the first year. Sean
2: O'Sullivan,
3: who was exceptional at the start, of the year.
1: and even Eisenhuth—he's obviously done a bit of work with Yo. He's not quite Yo, but he certainly ball played a lot more the other night. Having an Arpy there, sort of brought that stability around their ruck, which is very, very underrated. Um, Edwards toiled away, and then all those other guys, as we know, like the, the big one for me. And I still don't think it's a bad thing that he's going just because there's no way they could afford to pay him. And they've obviously decided to pay key positions and they've got guys pushing through in his position. But I'm so impressed with what out is doing now off the ball. I, I had someone at work the other day say to me, I reckon he's crap or whatever. And it wasn't one where I'm like trying to be a dick or have a bit of an ego, but I'm like, you've never even played a game of football. You've got no idea about the stuff off the ball. You know, like the, the stuff now that he's doing that a few years ago, if you were watching video, you were clipping him. He wouldn't be chasing through a he wouldn't be dragging blokes over the sideline. He wouldn't be kick pressuring. He wouldn't be, you know, just cleaning up stuff at the back. Like There's just so much small stuff off the ball right now that I just, I wouldn't have associated with him even in the last 18 months that he's doing now. So I think for the Bulldogs, I'm probably more interested to see if he carries that on once he goes there and depending on what times lie ahead and who they have in their team. But the, the smaller stuff in his game this year and that step forward in the Penrith setup um, is sort of blown me away. <laughs>
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. it really has.
2: Yeah, I think he's playing career best footy. There's no argument about that. No, and... Because he's doing the impactful stuff like you're talking about, and then he's now learning those little foundation blocks that he needs to get done.
1: And I think the other thing that people overlook at times, and they go, oh, he's been quiet this week. like I think it's, again, another thing that you talk about. Because you want the flashy play. Yeah, but it's it's not even that. It's the stuff that they don't appreciate with him as a decoy. They use him a lot as a decoy for a reason. Mm. Because not only is he accountable for the man he's on, if you're four on four on an edge and he's marked up on you, your inside man's got to come. Your inside man's got to come hard and cover, but it also makes the outside player nervous as well. So a lot of the time they do use him as a decoy. and why wouldn't you? Because if you get him in a one-on-one, he's just going to fucking absolutely murder whoever he runs at, or he's going to get a quick play the ball, or the times where someone does manage him, we've seen it last few weeks, he pops an offload and you still score. He's just such a threat in that regard that you can't underrate it by looking at numbers and quantify it through stats and go, well, he didn't do much today. If you go watch the video, you're like, well, he's probably run this many leads or how many decoys, and then look at the effect that has around the defenders having to pay attention to him. Yeah. That, that's another thing that's going to be underrated when he moves on next year. There's not going to be as much accountability for, say, a Tago or a Martin or depending on who they move into that spot, because they, you just don't have to account for them the same way as what you do for a Vili kickout. So, um, yeah, very happy for Kurt. All their veterans, like we said, were great. Fish, I said it a few weeks ago, slow start to the year, but he's warming in after surgery, 200 metres, 20 carries. Edwards, as always, but, yeah, all, all those younger guys just did their job. And um, it's definitely not the last football for Curtin. Surprise, surprise. We know there's a shortage of halves after playing one game the other night and coming out of that system. Immediately, they've linked him to a bunch of clubs. So I'm sure by the end of the year, he's off contract. Um I'm assuming they're going to try to table something to keep him Because I'm I'm sure O'Sullivan will be going to the Dolphins with his old man Um, But I think, you know, for somebody like you said Who's gone through a lot and did the hard work The world's going to be at his feet He's 25 years old, I think, turning 26 I'm sure he wants to play first grade But I also wouldn't put it past him Just because we know the person is him staying I honestly wouldn't put it past him He's going to make a decision about, again like we spoke about with coaches like where am I going to be in 12 to months time how much regular first grade am I going to play
2: am I better off staying at Penrith and you know being happy to be third string to Cleary and Lua which is a pretty good spot to be or do I want to go put myself at the cold face and play week to week NRL footy in not a stronger roster or not a strong assistant that, that's sort of the decision you've going to make and yeah is it a financial decision is it a well, it has to be decision all about yeah, longevity. Yeah,
1: because he's got if a shorter window. Out
2: pretty quickly if you, you know, if you're, um, if you're thinking yeah, about taking the cash, and that's cool, but it'll just depend on yeah how much it is and how long and where it is, and there's a whole heap of things to, to think about. But yeah, he's certainly put his name off in lights, that's for sure. Not even that, like it, anyone. And again, this comes back to your recruitment. Anyone that's watching regular New South Wales Cup should have seen this before he played first grade on the weekend. Well, like that, that's no surprise to those of us that are watching regular Cup. Like he's been one of the best times in New South Wales Cup for the last two
1: years. Well, I think I commentated his first game, like similar to what we were talking about. We obviously followed him through, spoke to him that day, and literally told him if it's not here at the time because they had Bert and they had others, I said, mate, you're going to get phone calls from everyone. And he's like, you think? I said, you kidding? you've just come up, you've absolutely brained him, he kicked a bunch of goals, he kicked well, controlled, he said halves are a dime a dozen, he's still plenty young enough, anyone with half a brain... Yeah, well, especially halves that can actually do what you want him to do. Exactly. It's like, in, in the kicking game in particular, but he stayed there and he, he's pushed his way through. Now, like as we know, when you're winning and everyone's playing well, people get a bit more of appreciation and everyone's trying to sign all the Penrith players at the moment or all their fringe players or all their juniors, so... He's going to be a benefactor, but I have no doubt if your goal is to play more NRL, it's obviously not going to be at Penrith. But if Penrith can come up with something at least competitive, just knowing the bloke he is, um, you're going to have to make that decision of whether you want to play, like you said, first grade, probably in a lesser club and get that opportunity and the financial side of it because your times a little more limited or whether you're happy to be a backup. Um, because we see some guys, obviously, like Hutchison and others that are going to clubs like the Roosters and they're happy to finish that way, but I honestly think he could definitely do um, you know, a, a job playing with the right person at particular clubs and do all those things we talked about. You can certainly game manage, steer things around, take pressure off. He um, I, I, could do a lot worse than having him as your halfback, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. So, talking of Penrith, um, we look at those moves like we said, but they've ha- had some decisions to make this week. We're obviously hearing about Taylor May signing a two-year extension, so that's a good start. There's a lot more to deal with in the long term. They've still got Toto, Crichton, Martin coming up in the next 12 months. And with that, they've moved to get Lindsay Smith and uh, Sunia Taruva up. Upgraded for two more years, two more guys that are playing well in Cup. Taruva was 18th man. I'm sure we'll see him during this origin period. He's still only 19, can play fullback, center wing. And then that system we talked about, feeding in under. They've signed Liam Henry and uh, Atavalu Lazardi, two guys that have played flag, and now in their Cup system again, on development deals, moving in NRL deals the year after. So the way they're managing this, knowing that people are going to keep picking the eyes out of their squad, Um, it's just really smart what they're doing yeah definitely and with that comes the other side of it where Staines they thought was a realistic chance to fight for that fullback position probably not going to be the case 350 on the cap or around about that more than likely will end up being released if he can find another deal so they're going to find ways obviously and make decisions on the run to try and keep these players yeah exactly Uh, but for the Bulldogs I don't think a lot needs to be said other than I think you can say under mick they've certainly simplified things, they're willing to take a little bit of risk. Um, Burton, Addo okay, Carr, obviously the only way they really broke him down was through those kicks. They completed 100% for the majority of the game, and unfortunately the critical error come from my man, Old Forney. That offload he threw in yardage, put him in a situation where they were clawing their way back into the game, and Penrith made him pay, and that was sort of the nail in the coffin. Yeah, uh, that's right. And the other point, just quickly, I... Yeah, I wanted to make it two weeks ago, but I forgot both times. And someone wrote on there what I was talking about, uh, a recruitment move. And I floated this to you, but now the news has come that he's signed with the Dolphins and it's no surprise. was Marshall King. And the idea I floated to you, I think for me, he's pretty underrated. I think he does a very good job given the circumstances and who's around him. And when you don't have a forward pack that's dominating and you don't have a lot of help in your spine around you and constant instability, I think he's been a very, very solid player. My sort of idea was, for what he's worth, on the cap and parent situation with Kenny and Sony Luke, I would have probably had a look if I was the Panthers at someone like Marshall King thinking that, you know, maybe 250, 200, maximum probably 300. If I can get him in for a two-year deal rather than him going to the Dolphins or somewhere else and I don't have somebody ready-made at nine, I'd happily have him share time with Sony Luke rather than play Kenny. Yeah. Um, my thought and reasoning around that again is like I said I, I think I've seen enough considering the circumstances that he's played under that you would have been able to get value for money and then you've got to project like you're saying in your head what could I do behind that forward pack with those halves and that fullback given you know what I do here with basically no hook right now no one's I'm not putting my hand up here saying he's an elite player or he's some ridiculous rep player but much like halves there's a lack of good hookers and I think he certainly plays well above his weight and his situation Again, going back to what I said before, stats aren't everything, but just in terms of numbers and what he does there, he's a good defender. He runs plenty. I think he was top three in line breaks. He scored a couple of tries. He'll certainly get out when he can and roll. And speaking with a couple of people that have played with him, they reckon he's a pretty good manipulator and at work in the ruck. So if you could do that in a situation like that, I just thought given that spot there. Uh, maybe they would have given a little more thought, but obviously they must be happy with the Kenny-Luke combo, which is probably going to be what they have next year, or they must have something else in mind. But again, it's all salary cap. Maybe they yeah. wouldn't have thought that was realistic or maybe you know, again he's older, they maybe not interested at all, but I just thought recruit wise yeah,
2: other hookers there as well. Hookers in flag and, and ball, so they've got players coming through.
1: Yeah, I'm not saying it was a knockout but and, and, and
2: on... No, I I, I, I quite like the suggestion and I know having spoke to to Mick about you know, players He's very happy with Jerry Marshall King and Sonny, some of his praises in the conversations that I've had with him since.
1: Mm. And what my he's thought the club, so. was just exactly that. Sometimes when you're producing players, which Panthers are producing plenty in certain positions, he's no RP, but like I said, they've also got a guy like Edwards in their spine who has a different role to most fullbacks in the comp because you've got Lua, you've got Cleary, you've still got a very good pack with Fish and Layota, and what you've got pushing through. So I was just looking value for money. Age situation where you're at, if you're not really sold on having Kenny and Sony full time as a split pairing, like I, I think Jeremy's definitely a better nine than Kenny, and then that, that probably allows you. He's shown he can play 80 to get some value for money in your cap and run and probe and do what he does behind a much better forward pack and with good halves that he just has to supply good service to. So, um, yeah, obviously, Simon with the Dolphins, but that was one I was talking about a few weeks ago for people when you're looking at value for money where are we short where are we good what have we got here like we talked about the kick out situation that one comes off the back of tago and maverick and multiple other guys coming through their system where they're looking going we can't put 800 900,000 here we've got these guys coming through we've got a spine that we've prioritized so we can fill that position but yeah I just thought that one might oppose a little bit of value because it's certainly a spot where we know much like halves there's not a lot available so I thought they would have been able to maximize each other. And have a beneficial relationship, possibly, for two years for okay money. But he's gone for the Dolphins. Uh, moving on from that one, the next game we had uh, was the manly smash-up of the Warriors. I don't think a lot needs to be said here. When a front rower scores from dummy half in the first few minutes, that pretty, pretty much says what's going to happen for the rest of the night.
3: Um, yeah,
1: correct. Yeah. 24-0 at halftime, 44-12 in the finish. They weren't in this game at all. They got absolutely steamrolled. I think Schuster did a good job, but it's hard to get a real gauge of his ability to me as a 5'8 or a long-term 5'8. Um, I'm not, not taking away, but just because of who they played and the way that game unfolded. But I certainly think it was good. I'd like to see him run more. Too often there, he's really, really happy to pass and kick and certainly happy that he wanted to be on the ball. But still, for the size of him, pass shouldn't be his first option. Run should be his first option, and that, that's probably why I preferred him as a back row. Maybe not long term or long term, I still think that would be a better spot for him, but for them, if they were able to keep Foreign on similar money and have him as a back row, I think back row forces him not only to have his passing game but to have his run game first. Yeah, very mm. uh, Kalatu was absolutely outstanding. I think again, depending on what happens with Sims and these sort of guys, I thought he might have got a look in that 22 for New South Wales, I think at some point in this series they should take him in um, to meet him and Clyde Matungi, two guys long term, that you have to look out for those sort of spots. Yeah, I just sort of consistently,
2: I think had lost, what, five in a row prior to this game, so I, I think him being left out is probably just a fight on form.
1: Uh, I'm not not too sure I I think he's had a pretty good year When you compare it to Say a Tarek And guys You know That's all I'm saying But I think He's a guy that I think Certainly got rep quality But overall Like I said What to take out of this game Good win for Manly Considering The players They were missing um, And where they're at In their season They've got a good opportunity uh, Obviously From that one And what's coming up To try and keep themselves In touch with the eight Whether they're going to have enough I don't know Uh, But they've got the Tigers This weekend So they're in a real good spot to try and There's get a, a couple of, of them.
3: opportunity for the Warriors to strike, and they're
2: just throwing it down the road.
1: Yeah, and again, looking at what's happened the last few weeks and now what's happened with their coach, I'll be very interested to see what happens for them this week because, yeah, I think Reese Walsh's words at the end were pretty blunt, pretty brutal, but pretty much on the money. So yeah, I agree. We'll move on from that one pretty quickly. And the last one was a stop start affair. Raiders Roosters, twenty-two sixteen. Adam G, who's generally a ref, I, I do like, just absolutely blew the piss out of the whistle. Um this one never really seemed to have a lot of flow, but for the Roosters, some of it was pretty much justified. I think they absolutely torched themselves. They helped the Raiders out of yardage constantly. They had some good patches of football, but realistically, in the end, uh, you know, I think that side of things, particularly in the first half, really, really hurt them.
2: Yeah, you nailed it with the blowing the piece out of the whistle. It made it made it tough to watch. Canberra looks like it's returning to a bit of a tough place to play, which is only good news for Canberra
3: fans. And they're winning a couple of close matches, which, again, is ideal this time of the year.
1: Yeah, defensive attitude seems to be a lot better compared to what Mm. we saw at the early stage of the year. Savage moving to one, I think, has definitely brought some life. And a couple of those guys in the pack, which you would have hoped, play up to their standard, have certainly come to life. Like, Tarpany didn't start the year that great, but he's now playing great football, big minutes. elliot has been a great buy. I think Fogarty's only going to get better having him come back now when they lose Jack has worked out really well for them. Um, all those moves. the Finding Wolford, like, I didn't expect that after the few years he spent out in the wilderness playing Cup and Massey, that he'd go back there and play the way he has. But, yeah, it, it, there were some positives for them. and Hudson Young's form, which, you know, last year... He was being mentioned again, similar deal, to be around origin camps and get some experience, then he sort of fell off a cliff, bit up and down this year, but he's been red hot the last few weeks as well. But uh, for the Roosters, it just looked a bit disjointed. I know, like, Manu had a huge game in terms of contribution and effort, but, you know, their attack in general, I probably expected better for their halves, which is why I tipped them. Losing Jared hurt in the middle. Um, I thought they lacked a little bit there. Like, Tupanua was an absolute nightmare all day. He was outstanding, but just icing things, probably expect a bit more from Walker and Keery in particular. Um, his confidence is still getting better. He's engaging more, he's running more, he's digging to the line more, but I think they'd be disappointed they dropped this game. Massively. Yeah, it's
2: another one, but they're just going to have to look at and yeah, Probably when they're, when they're thinking about top four at the end of the year, they're going to be regretting
3: this one.
1: Yeah, and that's probably one of the ones i thought about for that reason. But for the Raiders, you know, after that close loss last week, they're going to be thinking about top eight, isn't it? Yeah. Pulls themselves into that logjam there. But Rooster's is now 7-6. and six. You've got the Raiders 6-7, and Manly 6-7. and seven. Um, They play the Broncos this week, who I, I think are going to probably have a few guys not play, the Raiders, that is. So they've got themselves in a position here where that's a game if they can turn up for can really pull themselves back into that logjam from 4th all the way down to 11th and 10th. So it's it's going to be really interesting to see how the games play out this weekend and who backs up. But um, good effort the last few weeks from the Raiders and we're starting to finally see some of that form that we should have seen, honestly, during that four or five-week flat patch, but we didn't. Yeah, spot on. All right, let's jump in. There sort of is that, that logjam. I think,
2: like Canberra now... They're two games ahead of Newcastle who are one game ahead of um, the Warriors, I suppose. But, yeah, I, I think from Canberra up, that's, that's your comp. I uh, can't see Newcastle, West Tigers, Warriors, Titans, or Bulldogs, trouble on the scorers, So No. But probably now, yeah, into an 11-team 11, 11 comp. And like you said, I'm... Yeah, I don't, I'd, I'd probably have my money on Canberra before I would... On Manly or the Dragons at this stage.
1: Yeah, and no, I'd agree with that. I looked the other day and thought that's out like of those teams.
2: out of the eight as well. So South's probably the team that you look at and you go, okay, well they could potentially slide out. But mm, Penrith, Melbourne, Cowboys—they've all—they've all won, you know, seventy-five percent of what they need to get into the eight. So
1: yeah, I think the Eels will certainly keep kicking. I think the Sharks. Are going to be almost Beals, yeah. sharks are going to be almost untouched during Origin. I think they get a few games that work in their favour um, in that Apparently regard. I'm looking at Roosters and so Roosters, Souths, uh, sort of sitting there. And, Ross and George, Manly, and Canberra that can jump in or jump out. So yeah, I think Brisbane. So the interesting battle probably Penrith look like they've got
3: the minor premiership sewn up. They're four points clear. That may
2: change, but then you're looking at top four. Like that, that's very very interesting because you've got. You know, two, four, six, six teams within two games of each other.
1: Mm, well, if there was ever a time for the Sharks after a few patchy weeks to surge back into contention for that side of things, it's going to come during the origin period. Get on a bit of a run, yeah. Because I, I think they're going to have guys come back in and if things go well, like, I, I still wouldn't have Nico as my bench utility. I still think, you know, Jack's starting over Critter. Why it doesn't matter,
2: like, they've been kissed on on the backside during Origin, like they
1: they got Origin players in. They had to buy on the weekend, and then now they've got Bulldogs. Um, Wednesday to Monday turnaround to play the Bulldogs, so they get a short turnaround the week after. But yeah, in terms <laughs> of this week,
2: I get, I get that, but you got know, to really, if you're asking your Origin players to do a four day turnaround. Like it's not, it's
1: not inconceivable. No, definitely not The week after they play The the Roosters on Saturday Which is a tougher ask But in terms of The buy, a five day turnaround Like it's just Boom boom Two short turnarounds in a row Yeah It certainly worked out pretty well um, And then for the The last Origin game I think they Is it South. They play South. I can't remember which one's The one off the back So during the bye The next time they play the Tigers So that's a winnable game Without their players as well mm. So the origin period terms of schedule is pretty friendly. It could work out very well. That's
2: what I'm saying. I think that that may play into their favour for that top four position.
1: Yeah, most definitely. Um, We'll finish up there and we'll jump in to our origin preview brought to you by bluebet.com.au. And there's a very attractive offer. Get $2.50 for either Brian Toto or Selon Cobo to score a try in the first 60 minutes. Terms and conditions apply. Maximum bet $50.00 excludes SA residents. Gamble responsibly. I've already had a crack on that. I think there's a good chance for both of those guys to crash over and download the app or visit the website today, bluebet.com.au. Brock, I think we can easily say in the last few years that New South Wales have had the upper hand. They've been the better form, better depth, better situation. But I think Queensland this year has certainly gone back to a position where I think this is the most competitive series we're going to have in the past five years
2: yeah we'll see, it looks that way on paper but Queensland have also got a lot of um, a lot of debutants yeah I think that yeah I I, I see where people are coming from and I like their you know I like their uh, I guess their forward thinking and their optim- optimism, but mm, usually it takes you know a series to sort of get used to Origin footy. And you know, when you look at where the majority of the Blues players are coming from, they're coming from teams that have been strong for a long period of time. They're also experienced Origin players over a long period of time. What people really need to consider is that the Blues have only played one game at home in the last, or two games at home in the last three years serious
1: so I'm disappointed to hear they're struggling to sell tickets. I think they've been offering two-for-ones and all sorts. I thought for sure everyone would be keen as mustard to go to this game after having none last yeah, year. Yeah, but I think it maybe
2: also plays the other way. They've just wanted to live without it. You know? Mm. I, 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 I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um,
1: but mm, looking at both I mean, sides... We're keen as mustard.
2: We're going to be there with bells on. we got our members tickets and we'll be... Um, We'll be there trying to screen on the Blues, but uh yeah, well, I, I heard a little bit about that. They were struggling to sell tickets. So.
1: Yeah, well, I've seen people saying the two for one offer. If you look, maybe
3: talk. the price.
1: Yeah, maybe, but I think after a couple of years, it's it's a one off event. You haven't had one, you you'd think you'd be keen to go. Yeah, we're going to log on to Ticket tech now while we're talking and have a look and see what the actual prices are. Grand Final and Origin last year broke my heart we didn't get to go to either of those. They're the two things every year. Yeah, I, I get that. But if
2: you're a family, like it's
1: a Wednesday night, it's freezing, it's a 10 past eight kickoff. it's not the easiest
2: place to park, it's not easy in terms of access to public transport, and then you got to pay out your nose for a ticket. Like it certainly makes it a hell of a lot more attractive to stay at home and watch it. Yeah. And that's the thing that the NRL just doesn't, doesn't seem to get irrespective of who it's like they need to understand that they they need to walk
3: for a better experience
1: than what you get on TV and they don't seem, seem to quite grasp that no no well let's go through those lineups and for Queensland Caleb <sighs> Ponga at the back the wings are Cobbo and Xavier Coates the centres Gagai and Val Holmes the back row Felice and Katewell the halves Munster DCE in the middle they've got Tino Puff Parley and you've got Hunt playing at nine which I love um in terms of the way they're doing that. And Reuben Cotter, lots of confidence from Billy Slater starting at lock and the bench. Harry Grant's on a bit of a cloud, so if he's out, the 18th man did and will likely come in there. Lindsay Collins holds his spot. Uh, Pat Carrigan on debut. And Jeremiah Nenei is probably the one I'm most interested in terms of how he gets used or if he gets used. And their extended squad was Arrow, Flegler, Hamiso and Tor um, But you look at that, Potentially on the night, there's going to be four debutantes. Uh, five if something was to happen with Harry and he wasn't ready to go without a adductor injury. But for New South Wales, they've stuck solid with a few guys and they've recalled another veteran. Tedesco's at the back. Tupou and Toto are on the wings. Whiten gets a start in the centres with Staggs debuting on the other side of the field. Tarek Sims holds his back row spot. Murray recovered. The halves, no surprise. Cleary, Luai in the middle. Cook holds his spot. Haas, Paulo, and Yo and on the bench, Stephen Crichton on debut, Leon Martin, Campbell, Gillard, and on debut as well. Ryan Madison, the eighteenth man for them, is Nico Hines. And the extended squad was for Brazil, Frazel, sorry, Safiti, Suwali, and Corusau. Um, like we said. Well, here,
2: single, only single seat, so must be close to a
1: There you go, it's getting close. Um, I think for Queensland, I love the fact that Billy Slater is Done pretty much what I think Freddie did at the start, which is he picked on form. He hasn't just picked guys off names. He hasn't picked, you know, guys for the sake of picking them or you know whatever. Like this team is picked on form, hundred percent. The only one you could question form wise, but then look what he's done in that arena and his age and the position he plays is Kalen Ponga. But I'm sure if there's anyone that has been absolutely strapped to his back all week this week and the way he's going to use him, Billy Slater would be very excited about coaching Kalen Ponga. Yeah, definitely. Definitely,
2: uh, it's a nice little escape for Ponga as well to sort of get away from that fishbowl in Newcastle and come into a team
1: where he's not going to have to worry about doing too much, just doing his job. And he hasn't been mentioned really at all this week, so it's probably been a really good yeah. thing in that sense. But did. on the New South Wales side of things, there was a lot more talk. Um, surprised how many talking heads, considering they've won three of the last four series, were so in uproar about the addo cast situation. Like I think tubo's always been on... The fringe of playing rep football, it's probably another result. Again, unfortunately, when you leave a club like Melbourne where you're not scoring as many tries or going as strongly and we talked about last week. Like Realistically, the only real big difference is Tupo's not going to get a breakaway opportunity from an intercept or open field and go 80 metres. But in terms of the kicking, attacking game, he's better under the high ball. He's better under the high ball defensively. His decisions on the edge are as good defensively and his yardage carry stronger. Yep, don't disagree with any of that. Yep, yeah, agree. Um, I think Sims is lucky, um, but he's obviously given him a game to prove himself. He's done the job before. I guess last year, similar deal. Didn't think he was the sort of person I would have picked, but he certainly delivered when he put the blue jersey on. A bit like Nate Miles and Greg Bird and other guys have done before in that arena. He's, maybe he's just one of those guys that's made for that arena. I think Cook certainly has pressure on him from... Uh, R.P. Corasau So it'll be interesting To see how that plays out And The other one For me is Katoni Stags. You've got Katoni Staggs Debuting On the right edge I think his best football Is absolutely outstanding But To be honest For the Brisbane Broncos This year I think he's had Three good games His worst Can be absolutely diabolical So I don't disagree With him being picked But
2: Yeah He's surrounded by Different cattle Different halves Different cattle so Yeah Tupal, I agree with what you said, Richard I don't want to harp too much on, on about it. Same as Stags. I think he deserves his opportunity. He's probably also earned that opportunity by being close over a, a couple of years. We had Chaboyovic and Latrell there, but he, he hasn't been far off in previous years as well. So it's probably not only been what he's done this year, but also what he's done over a, a few years.
1: Yeah, and I think this is a very good side, but that's also a factor that's probably underrated. We've got good cover in the centres, but the guys that are playing there, that, Luttrell can definitely play centre, he's been a genuine centre, but I think the the impact or the X factor we get from having those two guys that not only deploy themselves on the edge, but all across the field certainly puts a little bit more responsibility this year on our spine. Yeah. Because they're not going to have as much freedom uh, or, you know, as much creativity around them. It's going to be very, very, very Penrith dominant, no surprise. That's why I thought if there's a loss here, Arpi will come in that This setup, I'm assuming, is going to be very, very heavy off Yo. He's going to be the link man. There's going to be a lot of touches from him. Cook's job's going to be simple. Dish the football, make your tackles, and if there's space or a man down, take off. Tedesco, we know what he's going to do. He's going to play in a phone booth. He's going to get down short sides. He's going to be around absolutely everything, but no doubt in my mind, this is a Penrith dominant system this year. I know they've been there previously with the halves, but missing those two centres and what they could provide and the point of difference... I think this year it's essentially literally going to be that Penrith system, clearing and Yo are going to handle the ball more than anybody. Yeah. And that makes sense because they've been the most dominant team in the competition probably for three years now. Yeah. So, you know, it just makes sense.
2: Yeah. Uh, and I don't think Brad Fittler needs to confuse
1: it. No. Just,
2: you know, install, install that Penrith system and, you know, make sure the players that are coming in understand it, they can compliment what needs to be done. And, yeah, hope that we can be disciplined and patient enough to really put Queensland under the, under the burner.
1: Would you assume that Crichton doesn't get on the field unless there's an injury, considering? Oh, I, I still lean that they're going to start him. Yep. so you still think Jack will go back to the 14?
2: I think so. But I, I don't know. People seem to be pretty convinced that Freddie's... You know, that this is how it's going to be
3: and... It's either that, or you then you then look at
2: um, you then look at maybe putting Crichton on the field and then bringing White off or moving White to nine. Like I, I don't I not think you play White at nine. So like, I, I don't
1: know. No, I think you're I think you nine cover, and I've said it before. He's done a little bit there in juniors, but they spoke about this during the week because people brought up like you have to have a nine cover. I don't think you do, but. Murray could cover there. You've got other guys in your <laughs> play back row.
2: I'm not like, thinking about like if you, if you yeah. I suppose he's just going to cover every position in the outside back from six to one. Is that probably what the thought is? Like, yeah. Freddie's spoken about concussions and that they've had a lot of concussions in the OBs this year. I, don't, I haven't really looked at the stats on that, but at least I guess yeah. If there's a HIA for someone in the OBs, you've got an OB to put on. I, I, I quite like that. Like you said, we're sort of of the mindset as well sometimes. Playing with sixteen and rolling your middles over a little bit more and using eight interchanges across three players is is beneficial. So yeah,
1: see how the game plays out. Like a lot of it's going to hinge on how how the game is played, how the game is refereed. Yeah, whether there are
2: injuries, whether there are HRAs, that's that's going to dictate a lot of what goes on with the bench.
1: I think Yo in previous years. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's played. 60 minutes or so They have rolled him I think this year That's not going to be the case I think he has to play 80 um, I think Haas and Paulo They know they're going to get Big minutes out of those guys So yep. Madison and Campbell Gillard Will be Naturally your middles Madison could play edge If you got really desperate You've got Martin Who he knows an edge But definitely does a great job When he plays middle He's probably the one I look at more so And think how they're going To get him on um, And my thought there Is obviously If Murray gets busted With that shoulder You've got oh, cover also Put him on And then roll Murray Into the middle yeah, or you can and do... Give, and give Yeo, know, you know, a 10-minute spell. and um,
2: Yeah, there's, there's options there with how you, can, how you can roll. I don't love Murray on the edge.
1: Nah, I, I know he did a job there, oh, but the I... Way,
2: like, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if pre-game they, they flip
3: Martin and Murray and just put Murray on the bench.
1: I always liked Murray, except the other year. His best attributes, his quick carry, his feet to the middle. It's not that he can't defend there. He can play everywhere, we know that. But I still think his best spot for what he does best is the middle. There's no doubt about it. Um, yeah,
2: he's also had... Yeah, you know, he's only had the one-game prep.
1: Yeah, and I think...
2: Yeah, I think, think there might, might be a couple of late changes, but I could also be completely wrong.
1: I think Martin's probably more likely to come in for Sims. I don't know if I'll, they'll see Sims playing eighty. 80. Um, but I'll be interested to see what they do there. Are there any changes? But for the most part, we got big minutes. I like I'm, not
2: in, I'm just not in love with that selection. I thought we were just going with Martin.
1: Yeah, I, like I said, I, I, was I, row, so. yeah, I, I was a big fan of yeah. I was a big fan of Kala Tungi. That's probably where I would have went. But, uh, yeah, so, so. Yeah, the other one that concerns me a little bit, like before I probably touch on some points, Stags, like people always talk about Whiten defensively. I think Whiten's issues defensively don't exist. I think technically he's a great defender. I think the last few years, especially in that setup, his biggest issue has been trust of who's around him and he's got a bit trigger-happy, and sometimes he can disconnect the line. Yeah, yeah. So, it's better than inside shoulder or slides off or jams in. Yeah, I think the bigger yeah, worry there... They would have sorted that out. Mm. Spoken
2: about how they're going to defend on the edge and done some work in partnerships.
1: Yeah, no, my, my bigger issue would be the other side of the field. Again, I talk about Stags. I think he's absolutely outstanding when he's on, but he can have some absolute shockers as well. Decision-wise, so I'd expect them to definitely go after him. I think he's going to need help from the inside from Cleary and Murray. Cleary's certainly great defender. Murray, we know, is really great at those second efforts, so I think there's going to be a lot of inside help from him. Um, but going through some core stuff here, looking at it now, like you said, main thing for me, it's the Penrith core. Cleary's going to be your steering wheel. He's going to do all your kicking for the most part. I think Luai can help in short yardage kicking, but long kicking, you know it's going to be Nathan, so they're going to have to be really good at covering him. Um, Yo is going to be your link Luai is going to get A lot of those Left side long shift attacks And I think Cook and Tedesco Just work around them um, You know uh, Look our middle Needs to roll their middle Simple as that It's going to be
2: slippery It's going to be wet And you know, We know what the conditions Are like At to Stadium This time of the year It's not going to be Conducive to a lot of Attacking football We may be blessed With a windy dry night I'm not sure But <clears throat> Having played on Friday night last week Um Near home bush and experiencing the sort of toxic conditions, cold, wet, windy. It, it, yeah, it's going to be a middle game. Lay a lane noise. you get out and roll down the field, and then use that as a platform for giving the ball to your edges with some momentum. And kicking game is going to be extremely important. So,
1: yeah, big pressure. Yeah, I
2: just think yeah, middle. You can you can cut it whatever way you want. New South Wales middle needs to just belt Queensland and, and roll through them and just do it consistently and not try and be too fancy, just win that field position and yardage battle and uh, understand that that's going to translate into more good ball footy, which is more opportunities to put points on the board. And I think Queensland may get rattled if there is some scoreboard pressure. Like, I don't think scoreboard pressure is going to worry New South Wales too much. I think it'll it'll more worry Queensland, so I think New South Wales is going to play a long game and you know, an eight-point lead at ANZ in game one on a on a wet slippery track is a lot of points. So you know, even if even if they have to penalty goal, kick their way to that, or you know, it's trying a penalty goal. I think if we could skip to an eight, either side, skips through an eight-point lead, it could be it could be a winning lead.
1: Well, I think again, whether
2: should... we're going to see, and also how it's refereed. You know, are they going to let it flow? Are they going to let them lay in? Are they going to? That's all going to play a part in how the games played as well. So if they're going to keep a short ten and allow them to lay all over each other, there's,
3: there's probably not going to be a lot of points in the game.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably more important that New South Wales do play the long game again. Taken to that fact that we don't have Tom or Latrell who created a lot of moments single handedly in the last but couple of years. I just don't series. think it's going
2: to be a Tom or Latrell track. No, that's why I don't mind the selection of Stags. Look, Stags is going to he's going to do his best work out of dummy half. So is Whiten. Look, that's why. I, you know, just carrying the ball out of dummy half, carrying the ball one off the rough. But those guys are strong ball
1: carriers, just help us in yardage. Yeah, so going and, to... and finish finishing good ball. You're not gonna to have
2: to do too much in good ball. You're not gonna to have to be brilliant, but just finish your opportunities and executing good ball. But the majority of what they're going to do is to be helping us out of kick return and trying to break their set ends. And you know, that just that hard running out of dummy half, which we're going to need.
1: Yeah, I think Cleary again needs to be the dominant kicker. My target would be. To get Cobo play one, I don't want to let him have a carry. I want to get him flat. I want to bash him first. I want to make Ponga have a carry or Xavier Coates. His yardage carry is getting better, but he still runs very upright. He's someone you can wheelbarrow. I know.
2: I know. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be kicking at Ponga and I'd be trying to just hammer
1: him. Yeah, but I, I get that. But if you got him midfield, I, I'd, I'd be trying to take Cobo out. Depends.
2: It depends where, whether you can land on the
1: kick or not. Yeah. If you can land on the kick, then I'd be my target to be Ponga.
2: If I'm kicking into space and, and kick return then Yeah, you, know, you just pick your poison really, don't you? Just kick the way over Nathan Clear comfortable kicking.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I like, that. Him go.
2: like He's pretty good at pretty good at set end, so if it's that end ins- go, but I'd be trying to i will be trying to get really physical with Taylor Power. That'd be my goal.
1: Yeah. If you're inside forty and you can put one on the line and hit him flat. But yeah, as far as first carry, I don't want it to be Cobo I'd want it to be Coates or Ponga off a set line out of the corner. I, I, don't, I don't mind either of them. So, I,
2: they're both young and inexperienced Origin yeah. players. Um, middle. Like- and look, the, the conditions. there's not going to be a dry track, so you know, footing isn't going to be isn't going to be at a premium. So if I'm New South Wales man, I'm I'm putting my winger on that far post, and I'm just going to absolutely.
3: And the Queensland outside
1: backs. Yeah. Um, middle, like you said, obviously going to be very important. We've got footwork. We've got mobility. We've got big minutes. I think someone like Madison, who's got second phase, much like Paulo, who can also ball play. It's not so much in Haas and Campbell-Gillard, but they can certainly lay a good platform. That's going to be very, very important to get your likes and your Cooks and your Tedesco's just pushing around the middle and off the ball. And also just those set-up there where we know Yo's going to be linking. Um, so I think... I think it's a better matchup than what it's been in the past with who they've brought in. Um, but in terms of the full rotation between their pack, our pack, I think Collins is probably the one that stands out to I me. Mean, probably not as strong as the four I think that we've got compared to them. Um, Cotter, really, really good carry. He's going to be, I think, someone very interesting to watch in this game. Not so much a Yo style player with the way he links and plays, but very, very good leg speed, gets between defenders, creates quick play of the ball, so... Interested in that middle matchup, and edge D is the one, like I said before, I think is really important, particularly for our centres. But that edge, uh, you know, with White there, I think between him, Sims, and Tupal, and that they'll sort things out. But the other edge with Stags and that, with Munster and Ponga sweeping around there, I'm sure they'll get plenty of traffic. I think uh, that inside help is going to be very important from Cleary and Murray. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as far as attack, well, I think the last few years it's probably been a bit easier to break down where you'd want to go but if I'm New South Wales, I think I'd really want to work over Benny Hunt. Benny Hunt's someone who he defends well but I just want to get extra tackles into him. I know playing in the halves it's a bit of a different story but I r- really want to wear him down, really get stuck into him and Cotter. and in terms of edge spots or where I'd want to get to, I'd be pummeling Munster as much as I love him at Melbourne. He gets very handy. He's not the best defender. His first contact's not great. Some particular... For New South Wales, I'm sure they're going to be trying to set up a lot of those long side left shifts for Luoy, Tedesco, get those guys playing more from there, from that far trim or the right post. I think Munster's the, the bloke I'd be definitely getting some traffic out. Well, who's the
2: back row on that
1: edge? The back row on that edge is Catewell.
2: No, no, for New South Wales.
1: Murray. So you get Murray into it. So that's
2: him. what I mean. Look, Murray's not, he's not really a scary prospect to
1: tackle. No. Nah. But footwork. So, yeah, i I'd be...
2: That's probably why I'd lean Martin. Like Martin's got a bit of prick about him and he's aggressive and he'll he'll actually he'll overtly go after Munster. Like I'm not sure whether Murray's got a lot of that in him. Um, and that's why I don't mind having Sims. Like Sims will just do a job on Terry Evans. So I like that thought, like just letting out back rowers give him early ball and letting them hammer into the the two halves of, of Queensland and then, yeah, you know, I, I agree with you, just get through back through the middle and work over Ben Hunt.
1: I think the same other and, thing. And,
2: and um, Harry Grant, when he gets on the field.
1: Yeah, I'd be dropping stags under as well. That's fine. I think that'll be the basis point of what they want to do. Mm. And then they'll just play
2: off that. Like Penn, you watch tennis play, they don't have dead plays. They'll just, they'll, they'll land anywhere on the field. If they land in the middle, they'll have shape both sides. If they land on an edge, they'll have short side and long side shape. If they land on a sideline, they'll have coast to coast shape, like sideline to sideline shape. So I just think, really, if you're New South Wales, just keep pulling the trigger keep playing and just see if Queensland can handle it. We're going to get bogged down if in good ball we're taking too many set-up plays and we're allowing Queensland to get, get off the line and be set, you know, to, to run our expansive
3: plays. Just fall into that system. Just play from wherever you are. Yeah. No dead plays.
2: And and just hit, if in doubt, just hit one of those three guys and, you know, work them
1: over and try and get a quick play-the-ball. So that's just, that's a pretty simple... Good ball philosophy. Yeah, I think stags could be utilised as well. You kind of do that drift play and you drop him under and try and get him one-on-one with a Munster. Again, similar situation. can see him getting some quick play the balls. Um, the matchup between him and Holmes is interesting. I think Gagai versus Whiten's is interesting. Whiten had a good start to the year, but um, Whiten is certainly physical. Gagai had a few rough games before he got injured, so it's a tough matchup. up um, Yeah, I don't, I don't overly see a lot of weak points compared to the years past that you can really pick on, but... Yeah, I think the Toto situation, they're obviously going to kick and target him. You just need to do a really good job off the ball, make sure they're running cover for him. He certainly competes well above his weight. I think it's Coates that'll be jumping on him. Tupo sort of nullifies the Cobo side, but that'll be a very interesting contest on the other side of the field um, in terms of what happens there. And I think probably a bigger bigger point for us just because I think they're better served in this area. New South Wales have to be better with kick pressure Cherry Evans' kicking game is absolutely outstanding, but the one that scares me, and he's had a really good impact in this role, and I think it's another reason why Billy Slater's picked him there, and I still think it's his best spot. Ben Hunt at nine has kicked 40 20s or come up with some really good kicks there in pass, so they're going to have to be accountable for Benny Hunt out of nine with his kicking game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they got...
2: Three really good kickers of the ball four if you throw a Polly in, but like they've got they've got a lot of kick options. So yeah. I think the important part of that would be winning the play of the ball before for New South Wales. You know, I mean? where are Queens they're gonna try to get to on, on that last play to get a quick player ball to open up some space for their kickers. So New South Wales is gonna work that out pretty quickly and then decide on how they're gonna best nullify it and and then target and get some pressure on whoever whoever is kicking. And that, that also comes back to Particularly in yardage, it comes back to who you kick to and how they get their set started off as well. We're talking about dummy half runners and targeting certain players. So there's a lot that goes into it. Mm. And field position at, a, uh, at Acor Stadium is definitely going to be a very, very uh, yeah, important factor in determining
1: the winner of the game. Mm. Flipping to Queensland, hit some points on them. I think great spine, all in form, again, probably besides Ponga, but him coming into this arena. This is where he's done his best work. Let's go back to what I said before. I think Billy, in particular, will be absolutely glued to him this week. There's no one better for him, I think, at this point in time and how he's going to want to utilise him. I think their style of play is certainly going to improve under Slater compared to what it has been in the past. Um, I think, yeah, look at those guys. You've got Cherry mainly as your steering wheel. I think he's going to do a lot of the control. Hunt from nine not only offers manipulation in a running game, but similar deal. He's going to kick and take pressure off. I think it's just going to really free up Munster and Ponga to do what they do best and just run the football. Uh, Harry's impact, how he uses his interchange interests me. Is Billy going to do a one change in the nine or is he going to do on-off, give Harry a stint, get Hunt back on to finish? His middles, I'm I'm assuming it's only going to be a one-time rotation for Collins, uh, possibly the same for Carrigan. I think Papali and Tino have showed, particularly Tino, he can play big minutes. Um, so maybe Carrigan gets the second stint for Papali. I'm not sure. I guess that depends on the flow of the game. But Nanai is the one I look at, and I, I don't quite know how they get him on. I think he's purely an edge. Um, but Felice will be an 80-minute player. We know what he'll do. He'll bash the halves. He'll pressure from inside. He's going to do a lot of clean-up work. He's going to get stuck into Luai. Um, but Capewell, on the other side of the field, they've generally used him, you know, center. He's played back row as well. Like Does Nanai get thrown in as an impact, or is he, again, sort of like a bit of a random 18th man, and if they lose an outside back, they've got a Well who can push out in one of those positions. Is it more a cover in that sense? Well, we, yeah, it's hard to know. Uh, He's the one yeah, that sort of... how the game plays
2: out. Again, you could put
1: him on an edge and then move for least in the middle. So I sort of looked there and thought that's probably the one that interests me. If he, again, mainly playing with 16, is he generally going to have couple of changes there for his hookers, and then mostly for middles, or has he got a, you know, a different plan for how he uses Nanai? But interested to see. Yeah. Uh, I think most definitely I'm excited to see, and again, not excited as a New South Wales fan, but scared to see the style of play. I really think there'll be a lot more ball movement. I think they'll move the point of attack with their forwards. They've got good footwork, good leg speed. Offload's definitely out of Tino. Cotter's been offload and Papali's been offloaded. I think that's the biggest threat. Our guys... We've got a bit more ball play, a bit more link play, uh, but I think for them, they've got a forward pack with great leg speed that can produce you know, that momentum and get a hunt out of nine, get playing to the middle, move that point of attack and then unleash those outside shapes. And I'm sure Ponga, compared to Newcastle, where we see him sort of playing one side of the field, he's going to be sweeping left, right. Billy's going to want him parked in the ruck, in and around the football. Um, I think, again, they're going to want to get Munster early ball with Ponga sweeping down that left going after, like I talked about, a Stags who certainly at this level is going to get a lot more pressure. I think that's going to be a point they're going to look to go. White on the other side of the field, if they can get there, with Gagai, DC, and Ponga playing there, if he disconnects and tries to solve things on his own, could be something um, for them to to look at. But I'm just, yeah, that, that spine in particular, if they can get the go forward in second phase, to think what Munster and Ponga could do and then rolling Harry Grant and if they can establish the middle if he is healthy um, he's shown in his few samples of player origin how destructive he can be out of dummy half mm. yep yep anything to add on that
2: no no it's all 10 agree. I
1: think it'll be based around a, a lot of what you've just spoken about Yeah, I think.
2: Again, I just think discipline, discipline, patience. Uh, The conditions can't keep up on about it.
1: Nah, but I think what you've touched um, on probably suits them even more so in their forward pack. I don't think they're going to look to move the ball as much in the middle. They're pretty, they're pretty uh, straight up down forward. But they can certainly produce second phase. So I think the offloading game is probably more critical in this sort of setup where you break down the middle. Yeah, well, they've got better, better ball runners in the halves and hookers than what we do. Yeah. Oh.
2: You know, you look, at, you look at Ponga, Munster, Cherry Evans, Hunt and Grant are all very, very good post-offload runners of the football. So that's going to be a critical point for New South Wales to ensure that we lock up the ball and put Queensland middles on the ground. But then again, I don't look at many of the, the Queensland middles and go, like, oh, they're, they're great offloaders, but I think that's certainly going to be something that they need to be trying to generate
1: Hmm. No, I think this is probably this, the point I made before. I look now this year and I'm like, there's not really too many mismatches. I think halves, back row, back yes. rowers, centers, like defensively and attacking wise, they're all pretty even. Like Stags probably definitely be looking to get himself at Holmes, but Holmes is a strong baller himself. White and Gagai are both aggressive. The back row matchups are pretty, you know, pretty similar. We to see whether
2: Holmes can translate that. And reform into origin.
1: Mm, He's certainly been playing well uh, in that spot at the centres, but I think the biggest advantage they've got, similar to what you said there, is also the kicking game, because I think that dummy half kicking game, since Cameron Smith they haven't really had one. I think that's very underrated. Um, they're going to have to be accountable for Hunt. Pressure Cherry Evans early, make sure they get stuck into him. Um, and I think for them, in terms of kick targets, we know if they're in good ball, what they're going to do. They're going to try and get tot- isolated, but otherwise I probably still would have Toto as my kick target if they're standing flat or put someone in a corner. I don't want him carry and play one. That's the one thing he's done ridiculously well and in Origin the last few years. Every time it seems like he's done. He just he's so low to the ground. He's so powerful. Tupo we know carry strong, but because he's a bit taller, he's a bit easier to get under. Tedesco is obviously unpredictable and he's very good in that situation as well. But I'd assume Totto is definitely a kick target for them in both situations. Yeah. Um, and similar deal probably the last point here just halves for them Gagai the last few years has been tortured along with DC when they've had Latrell there he's not there now I think Sims is definitely going to be coming after Cherry Evans but with Jack there he's still a good ball runner but he's definitely no Luttrell I think Cherry Evans will get that support he needs from Felice and the other side of the field it's Munster I think Munster's going to need help from Kate and Holmes he's as I've said uh, Not trying to lay in too much A bit handsy at times He's going to need to be more physical But overall Like I said I know it's only on paper But I think this is the most even In a long time And I think Queensland are a big chance Yeah so do I
2: So do I But uh, We'll see We'll see A lot of debutants Yeah um, got very good players, players in form So Yeah we'll, we'll see what the field has to
1: say tomorrow as it stands, like we said, if they have no changes, there'll be three debutantes for New South Wales, four for Queensland. Um, players in form, couple of guys, like I said, getting a, a tick of approval. But I dare say if uh, a loss in game one in New South Wales would be a huge plus. Like we all know winning game one's critical, but with a decider in Queensland, that would be massive. For the other side of things, if New South Wales can win, heading to that neutral venue... They'd want to be getting it done in two games, no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, but I also think like you're not going to get a lot of fear out of the Panthers boys, like the New South Wales side. So I don't see going to Soo. But then we won at Soo, so bloody, didn't we? So yeah, it's really matter. I think it's yeah. I think this team's a lot better. I lot. Mean, you prefer you prefer to have the series wrapped up definitely before coming there. Mm. I think like I said the, the X factor of those two centres being out and the blood and the form that they've got in I think this is going to be much more even matched the match series let's put that one mm. but time for that picks who have you got? Uh, i got the Blues by 8 yep and if you had to pick the first try scorer who would you be backing? What about a man of the match
2: then? Back rowers, back rowers, row centres, if you're looking for a little bit of value, might even be a try for kick. A grubber, one of the centres, back rowers. wingers. I think, yeah, probably a safe bet. Um, if you're looking at New South Wales, probably, yeah, two-pole-toe. To Depends how you think they're going to they're score. Like, if they're going to score off a shift or if they're going to score off a, a kick-catch, probably looking at 2 posts off a try-off, off, um, you know, a
1: movement an edge movement you're probably looking at Tom yep right, well man of the match who you got I'll
2: I'll go I'll go clear there'll be a little little hinge on that or um if you're looking at value outside of that I think Yo Yo's won a lot of points this year so I think he'll um If New South Wales going
1: a win, I think he's going to have a, a, you know, play 80 and have an impact on the game. Do a lot of defence. they'd be the two. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go New South Wales by four. I think we'll score on the left edge. I'm going to go Jack Whiten. I'm going to go centre for the first try. And the man of the match, because I think he's going to touch the ball so much and he's going to be critical through the middle, I am going to go with Isaiah Mm. so translating those predictions to the odds, thanks to Bluebet.com.au, New South Wales at $60 favorite I think New- Queensland were at about 250. They've shortened in to $2.35 minus three and a half is the line. One to 12 for the Blues, 290. 13 plus is 310 for Queensland. One to 12 is 350. 13 plus 640. I-, I don't see 13 plus anywhere. So if you want one to 12, yeah, unless unless it's
2: Unless it's like 18-4 or you know twenty to six, yeah, like a low scoring game where one team only scores one try,
1: I just think and
2: the other team, the other team could score two and kick some penalty goals and they'll, they'll get thirteen plus. Yeah, I so no, I think it's unlikely, but I can I can see it. But I, yeah, certainly I wouldn't be
1: banking on it. No. no, I can't see it. A call those conditions like you talked about. More evenly matched the the squads this year. I just think it's going to be definitely a. I like the try bet, the 10 or less bet for this game, to be honest, for either side. Um, In terms of those try scorers, anytime, Toto, Tupo, Cobo, Coates, etc., they're all your favourites. But first try scorer, $9 for Toto, $10 for Tupo, Cobo, 10, Xavier is 11. Um, Go on those picks like we talked about. If you went a centre, I've got Jack, he's obviously $13. Ponga on a sweep movement at 16 is very possible. I think Holmes has been a first try scorer for Queensland in like six or seven of his origin games. He's $17, so a bit of value there. Um, you know, looking at those sort of picks. Back rowers, like you said, usually a favourite of ours in big games. Sims at 29, Katewell at 29, Murray is at 23, and Felice is $34, and the man of the match market. Nathan Cleary, the heaviest favourite. He is five fifty. Munster's the favourite for Queensland at $7, even with Tedesco. And Isaiah Yo is on the fifth line of betting there. He is $11 to win man of the match. If you're looking for a bit more value, I don't know what his role will be in terms of minutes, but uh, I think Ben Hunt at 21, if he kicks and plays the way he has, Billy Slater, the way you spoke about him, seemed to have a very high opinion. He's won their man of the series the last two years. I think he's going to be a critical part, but... Um, for them I think he's probably the value pick at $21
2: yeah was the amount of
1: the match in game three last year I think so and yeah I think Ponger if he had a big game at $12 isn't a bad shout either but yeah if, if it's not Cleary for New South Wales I think Yo is going to have the next best sort of impact on the game like Tedesco we know is always there at 7 but Yo at 11 is probably the value pick if you're going to go someone else for New South Wales outside of Cleary yeah. well, yep yep there you go. Those odds brought to you by bluebet.com.au. Don't forget $2.50 for either Toto or Cobo to score a try in the first 60 minutes. Terms and gifts and supply. Maximum $50 bet. Excludes SA residents. Gamble responsibly. Download the app today and thank you for supporting our charity account. Bluebet will be having a bet on the origin for the charity account and hopefully adding to the $482 we have won so far. for bears of hope. Um, but Went a bit longer than we probably planned on, but there was a lot to talk about. We got pretty in-depth on those two coaching situations and coaching and development in general. And we'll be back Thursday, Boxhead, to just do a review and our tips around 14 once we have a better idea about lineups. Yep, sounds good. So everybody out there, hopefully it's an absolute cracker game. Looking forward to this series. If you're a New South Wales fan, get to the stadium. Broxhead, there's only single seats available, but after a couple of years with no crowd... I think this year they're going to need us more than ever. Get there, enjoy that game of football, and for now, enjoy your week and enjoy your rugby league.
3: Bring it on, give us
1: more, give
2: us more. Where are you going? Where, 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 what's going on here? Is that it? Is that it?